May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. <clears throat> Amen. Please be seated. Jesus said, I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners to repentance. At the beginning of last month, I preached on a passage that contained the statement, all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all who humble themselves will be exalted. It was the parable from Luke 14 about those who seat themselves in the places of honor at a wedding. The statement appears again in Matthew 23 as Jesus is denouncing the scribes and Pharisees for their love of drawing attention to themselves and for their blatant hypocrisy. And it appears again in today's Gospel lesson. Here Luke informs us that Jesus is specifically talking to a group of people who trust in themselves that they are righteous and regard others with contempt. This one line of context for the parable clues us in that the parable is not just about how humility and prayer goes a long way, but that this is a parable about our very understanding of what righteousness means. The group of people Jesus is talking to consider themselves righteous because of their exemplary behavior. To them, righteousness is the result of successfully observing God's law, and they believe they have done just that. Paul can relate to this definition of righteousness. In Philippians 3, he says, If anyone has reason to be confident in the flesh, in other words, if anyone has reason to trust in themselves that they are righteous, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, check. A member of the people of Israel, check. Of the tribe of Benjamin, check, check. A Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. This was Paul's spiritual self-diagnosis before his encounter with Jesus, back when he was still Saul. It could just as well have been Saul standing among the group of people Jesus was talking to in today's passage from Luke 18. Let's see what Jesus teaches about true righteousness. In the parable, two men go up to the temple to pray, a Pharisee and a tax collector. Jesus' listeners would have understood this as occurring during the atonement offering that took place twice daily at the temple. At dawn and at three o'clock in the afternoon, members of the Jewish community would assemble for the sacrifice, to worship, and to offer private prayers. Many people would have gathered at the temple, but Jesus tells us that the Pharisee is standing by himself. He has separated himself from the crowd, made a distinction between them and him, so his holiness will not be defiled. The Pharisee has been extremely careful to observe God's laws all his life. This man doesn't need a sermon on tithing. 
He even goes far beyond what is required of him. Fasting, after all, was only required once a year on the Day of Atonement. This man fasts twice a week. As all true Pharisees, he has put fail-safes in place. A complex hedge of additional laws around the laws so that he might never transgress. He puts boundary around boundary to preserve himself from sin. There is a dietary equivalent to this when your wife has you eat all the birthday cake in the refrigerator so she doesn't have to look at it anymore. (laughs) Well, no doubt Jesus' listeners were thinking, isn't that a good thing, though? What's the problem here? I'm sure some of us have created boundaries for ourselves, too. I don't go to those kinds of places. I don't watch those kinds of movies. I don't even associate with people like that. But the problem with the Pharisee and with Jesus' listeners is that pride is at the root. He believes that all his pious behavior has earned him righteousness. And what happens when people who work hard to earn something see others who aren't working quite as hard? They look down on them with contempt. God, I thank you that I am not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. The tax collector also stands apart from the crowd. Jesus tells us that he is standing far off, not because he is afraid of being defiled like the Pharisee, but because he is afraid of defiling something holy. He can't even look up to God in heaven. He's visibly distraught, beating his chest. He sees the community of worshipers gathered before the altar as the atonement sacrifice is made, the slaughtering of a lamb, and he prays, God, make an atonement for me, a sinner. One of these two men went home made righteous. And this is the lesson of the parable. Righteousness referred to in scripture is not actually about adherence to a law or code of ethics. Righteousness in scripture refers to the granting of a special relationship of acceptance in the presence of God. Those are the words of Kenneth Bailey, and I couldn't think of a better way to put it. It's the granting of a special relationship of acceptance in the presence of God. It is a gift entirely unearned. Though it may be surprising to some, a righteous person is not someone who keeps the law. It's someone whom God has made acceptable to him acceptable to be in his very presence. This understanding of righteousness shapes, or ought to shape, our whole attitude toward God, our whole way of viewing him and ourselves and even other people. We do not achieve righteousness, but respond to his righteousness given freely to us. 
The tax collector knew that he had already missed his shot at achieving righteousness. He felt that truth deep in his heart. But he still longed for the presence of God, for an atonement made for him personally. And he cast himself on the mercy of God, who alone could make him acceptable. God, make an atonement for me, a sinner. Here we touch on the very heart God has toward us. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You take no pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. That's from Psalm 51. And Psalm 34, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He saves the contrite in spirit. And then there's one we will all recognize from Isaiah 57. Thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place and also with the one who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite. God's very presence is profoundly and mysteriously connected to the humble heart. It is the place of his abiding presence. Today's psalm describes the place of God's presence in temple imagery. How dear to me is your dwelling, O Lord of hosts! My soul has a desire and longing for the courts of the Lord. The sparrow has found her a house, and the swallow a nest where she may lay her young by the side of your altars, O Lord of hosts. Happy are the people whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on the pilgrim's way. Those who long to dwell where he is, and who seek their source of strength in him, who seek their righteousness in him, will find refreshment even in desolate places. In Jeremiah just now, we heard a call for God to act despite the iniquity of his people. God is acknowledged as the only one who can bring healing out of their mess. And there's a conversation happening between God's justice and wrath on the one hand and an appeal to his mercy on the other. We acknowledge our wickedness, O Lord, the prophet prays. Only when we have that honest and truthful view of who we are and of who God is, can we truly meet God's presence and receive his righteousness for us. That's why it's in these two areas that our spiritual battle wages, how we view ourselves and how we view God. Probably nothing I've said so far will be really news to anyone sitting here. But there's a reason why we come back to these lessons over and over again. Far too often we fall back into the trap of believing in our hearts that we are earning God's grace by the good things we're doing and by all the bad things we aren't doing. The telltale sign of this is that the separation goes up in our minds between us and other people whom we consider to be on a lower level to us. 
For the Pharisee, other people meant thieves, rogues, adulterers, and tax collectors. For us, it can mean fill in the blank. Are there any people we consider to be on that lower level of righteousness compared to us? There have been times at the Agape Center when we've seen clients pull up in a fancy car for their donations. Those people can't possibly need these donations. They're taking advantage. Or the ones who try to get more than they're allowed. They can't need another microwave since last month. Or the clients who come through verbally abusing their children. How could they do that to their own kids? I would never do that. I've found that it's incredibly easy to judge in those situations, holding myself up in comparison to others the way the Pharisee did. But growing closer to God inevitably inevitably, means growing in the awareness of our own shortcomings. C.S. Lewis said it's the very sign of his presence. Like peeling back the layers of an onion, as time goes on, we find deeper and deeper ways in which we fall short of deserving his righteousness. And this can sometimes feel like we're taking one step forward and three steps back. Wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? But with each step forward in humility, trusting in the righteousness that God gives and not our own, we experience more and more of God's love and grace and peace in our lives, despite our unworthiness. When we find our righteousness in him, we abide in his presence. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians 3 after his encounter with Jesus. Whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death, if somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And then in today's passage from 2 Timothy, I have kept the faith. From now on, there is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. When Jesus told this parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, He knew that he would one day be that very lamb that would atone for the sins of all. But to whom will that atonement now reach? Which of us will leave the sight of that altar having been made righteous? Those of us who are like the Pharisee, believing we are righteous already, or those of us who are like the tax collector?
I'll end with a, a hymn. Maybe you're familiar with it. It's called With Broken and Contrite Sigh, and it's written from the perspective of the tax collector. With broken heart and contrite sigh, a trembling sinner, Lord, I cry. Thy pardoning grace is rich and free. O God, be merciful to me. I smite upon my troubled breast, with deep and conscious guilt oppressed. Christ and his cross, my only plea, O God, be merciful to me. Far off I stand with tearful eyes, nor dare uplift them to the skies, but thou dost all my anguish see, O God, be merciful to me. With alms or deeds that I have done, not one sin's pardon can be won. To Calvary alone I flee. O God, be merciful to me. And when redeemed from sin and hell, with all the ransomed throng I dwell, my raptured song shall ever be, God has been merciful to me. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.